Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hi friends, I'm Michael Kingswood, and it's story time. Not going to spend too much time screwing around right now, just get back into the next couple chapters of the Pericles Conspiracy, because I told you I was going to. Already did one chapter this week, but wanted to get a couple more before the week turns over. It's now Sunday, and I have just a few hours to do it. Um, but I will tell you, I just finished my story for the week uh, for the Great Challenge. So that's 13 weeks in a row. I've written 13 short stories. Continuing on strong, more success. Uh, so that's good. So yeah, 13 stories, 13 weeks. Goal is 52 stories, 52 weeks, uh, which I'm pretty much at this point confident there should be no problem doing that. Of course, life always rears its head, so we'll see. Things might get weird, but for now, it's going well. All right, so where would we leave off with Joe in the Pericles Conspiracy? <laughs> it was in the middle of a car chase. They had just uh, got the tracker out, and they weaving with the cars and skidded to a halt. One of the chase cars got hit by the oncoming traffic, and uh, we thought we got rid of the tracker and evaded the other guy, but uh, nope, they just found the uh, Joe and and Malcolm and Raul in their van again and are speeding to catch up. Let's see what happens next. All right, I'll talk to you on the flip side. Enjoy! The Pericles Conspiracy. Written by me, read by me, and you already know I'm not apologizing anymore. Chapter 22. Against a Wall. Son of a bitch, Malcolm swore, and he floored it. The van surged ahead, but the pursuing car was smaller and probably souped up with a law enforcement motor. They were not going to outrun the agents, not in this rig. Malcolm took a right-hand turn so quickly that the passenger side wheels came off the road momentarily. Joe slid into the van's wall, jarring her sore shoulder, and winced. Be careful, Malcolm. It won't do us any good to crash. Malcolm blanched and sent her a reproachful look. Raoul's look was more speculative. Joe gasped and she realized what she had just done. Stupid. Stupid. It's not like she had not been in stressful scenarios before. Why was she losing her cool this time? The answer came to her as soon as she asked the question. She had been in hard situations before, even a few life-or-death ones, but she had never faced a high probability of arrest and incarceration before. Sure, she had been arrested just a couple weeks ago, but she had not really believed any harm would come to her when that happened. This time, though... That was no excuse. Malcolm had not told Raoul his real name for a reason, and she had just blown it for him. She flushed in embarrassment as she gave Malcolm an apologetic look. He did not see it, though. He was focusing on the road. He made another right-hand turn at the first intersection, but did it slower this time and under more control. Joe noticed the pursuers entering the last intersection as the van completed the turn and blanched. The agents almost certainly saw them. Malcolm turned to the right again at his first opportunity, and Raoul said, "'What you doing, man? You're just making a circle.' If we are lucky, Malcolm replied as he jerked the wheel hard to center the van on the road before flooring the accelerator again, they'll miss at least one of these turns. If that happens, they'll continue on and we'll be going the opposite direction. 
Raoul snorted. Don't matter, man. They're probably calling the local cops for help. Joe snorted. Malcolm shook his head. No, they're not. They want to keep this one under wraps. Raoul looked inquisitively at him, and Joe could see he was doing some figuring in his head. It would not be a big stretch to put two and two together. He just might decide it would be worth it to turn them in. Maybe get a reward. Joe flexed her fingers unconsciously, the way she used to do before starting a sparring session with her father. It didn't work, Raoul said, his tone one of near panic. And he was right. In the rear view, the pursuit car rounded the corner and sped toward them, making up ground at an alarming rate. Malcolm swore under his breath and glanced at Raoul, then Joe. Any ideas? Joe shook her head. She had nothing. Raoul pursed his lips in thought for a moment, then pushed himself out of the seat and slid past Joe into the back of the van. I might have something back here that can help, he said. He began opening one locker after another and hurriedly sifting through the contents. It's here, he murmured. I know it's here. Help him, Malcolm said, but Joe was already on it. She went to the lockers on the other side of the van from Raoul and started looking through them. What am I looking for? Raoul replied, looks like a thick magic marker, except it has a button on one side and a transmitter element at the end. Joe blinked. A transmitter? Sends out a burst of electronic noise that's tuned to disrupt the car's computer systems. Cops use it to avoid high-speed chases. Joe shut the locker and moved on to the next one. You mean like we're in right now? Yeah, I wonder why they haven't... Raoul's words were cut off by a loud crunching sound as the van shuddered and spun off course. He and Joe fell to the floor as tires squealed, a motor revved, and Malcolm shouted a curse. The van continued to skid. Joe looked forward and saw through the windshield a hardware store on the side of the street. They were headed straight toward it. Malcolm clawed at the wheel, but only managed to turn the van a fraction of the amount needed to avoid crashing. They hit the storm front a few degrees from broadside, smashing through the display windows with a loud crash. The van tilted, then rolled over onto its side as impact-absorbing foam flowed from the walls and ceiling. All Joe could see was pink foam. The only sounds were the squealing of the van's steel bodies that slid further into the store and repeated crashes as it knocked over display cabinets, countertops, and machinery. Then there was another tremendous crash, and the van stopped. The foam absorbed the worst of the impact, but as she got to her hands and knees, Joe nevertheless felt bruised and battered all over. Raoul lay in a heap in front of her, his left arm bent at an unnatural angle. From up in the cockpit, Malcolm groaned softly. Joe got to her feet and staggered over to Raoul. Her movements were slowed by the foam as much as by the pain. She had to force her way through the stuff. Supposedly, it would dissolve in a few seconds now that the collision was over, but for the moment, it was a serious impediment. Finally, she got to him and crashed down. You okay, Raoul? she asked as she felt for his pulse. At her touch, Raoul jerked up to a sitting position. What the fuck? he began. Then he let out a strangled cry and doubled over, clutching at his broken arm. Hijo de puta, he muttered through clenched teeth. Can you stand? We need to get out of here. He nodded, and Joe helped him to his feet. It was beginning to get easier to move. The foam must have already begun to dissolve. Malcolm, can you move? Joe called. In response, Joe saw two feet rise out of the foam and begin kicking at the windshield. Once, twice, three times. Then the bottom, or rather the passenger side, of the windshield popped out of its frame, leaving a gap they could probably crawl through. Good enough. Joe put her arm around Raoul's shoulder and it helped him forward while Malcolm got to his feet. He took in Raoul's condition at a glance and grimaced. Then he slipped through the gap in the windshield and pulled it out a bit further from the other side. Let's go, Malcolm hissed. Joe helped maneuver Raoul through the opening. As broad as his shoulders were, it was a tight fit. He ended up jarring his bad arm on the way out, and for a moment there, Joe thought he would either pass out or refuse to go on. 
Then Malcolm, who had stood up to look over the van toward the street, hissed, They're almost here. Move your ass. That was apparently all the encouragement Raoul needed. He gritted his teeth and began moving again. Joe helped him with a vigorous push that left him sprawled on the ground, then followed him out. The store was a wreck. No big surprise there, but the destruction was still impressive to look at. Shelves were toppled, products smashed. A column had smashed the rear portion of the van and was itself split, leaning over at an acute angle. The ceiling, about three meters tall elsewhere in the store, was sagging all around the pillar. It clearly had been a load-bearing structure. Joe straightened and looked over the hulk of the van, and cringed. The sedan that had been pursuing them was a crumpled heap of metal wrapped around a light pole on the other side of the street. One person lay sprawled on the sidewalk, where he had apparently been thrown from the sedan on impact. The remaining passengers, three of them, were clawing through slowly dissolving foam and out of the sedan's windows. Two were strangers, but Joe recognized Agent Moore without difficulty. What happened? Joe breathed as Malcolm helped Raoul to his feet. They came up faster than I expected and rammed us, he replied. Agent Moore and one of her companions made it out of the car. He took a moment on his hands and knees to catch his breath, but she was up on her feet in a flash. Plasma pistol clutched in both hands, the barrel pointing toward the street for the moment. Ngubwe, Ishikawa, there are more units on the way. You can't escape, so come out with your hands up. Joe found herself sliding her hand to the small of her back, where she had tucked the Stefano's weapon. If Agent Moore thought she was going to just surrender, a certain death sentence at this point, she was sorely mistaken. Malcolm's hand on her shoulder stopped her from pulling the weapon. Not like this, Joe. Come on, out the back. Joe nodded and the men moved out. She waited for a moment just long enough to see the third agent make his escape, then she turned to go. She found Malcolm and Raoul at the back of the shop. They looked distressed. It only took a moment to figure out why. There were two doors in back. One led to a small office, the other to a bathroom. There was no rear entrance, and at first glance at least, no windows either. Oh no, Joe breathed. She looked over her shoulder. The streetlights outside cast long shadows from the three agents as they approached the overturned van. They were getting closer. It would take a moment for them to climb over the van, but then it would all be over. What do we do? Raoul leaned against the wall and winced, then shut his eyes and shook his head. Malcolm's eyes went to the ground and he sighed. I guess we get arrested. Chapter 23 Over the Roof the words hit Joe like a ton of bricks. Get arrested. Yeah, right. Agent Moore and her colleagues had no interest in arresting them. That was obvious from DeStefano's remarks. Removing them from the picture? Absolutely. Arrest and trial? No way. Not anymore. Like hell, she said. Turning back toward the front of the store, Joe crouched down behind a fallen shelf and took aim with DeStefano's pistol. At least go out fighting. It would be a useless gesture, no doubt, but it was something. A small part of Joe's mind wept for lost opportunities. If she had just stuck to the deal, she would probably be home by now and off on Agrippa in a few weeks, back to her normal life, with these troubles far behind her. And the government would continue the alien egg program to its ultimate conclusion. Sooner or later, the creatures would learn what had happened. These sorts of things always came out, and when it did, there would be no containing their anger. Joe imagined the rage humanity would feel if the tables were turned. It would be murderous and entirely justified. Such a betrayal of their most helpless ones could not be forgiven. But almost worse than that, Malcolm would be imprisoned, or more likely, dead. And it would be her fault. She could try to justify it by thinking of her own predicament, 
But in the end, it would have come down to the fact that her friend was dead because she betrayed him while he was trying to do something she now agreed was morally and ethically right. There was no way she could live with that. So she took her place and silenced that part of her mind. She did not regret her choice. Malcolm crouched down beside her and she passed him the other pistol she had taken from Stefano. He smiled faintly and settled down to wait with her. Never thought it would come down to this, he said. I just wanted to blow the lid on it, not... He trailed off and shrugged. Didn't matter now, did it? The shadows of the agent's movements on the other side of the van grew larger. Joe could hear their footsteps, slow and cautious, but relentless in their approach. They would have to climb over the van to get at them. That was something, at least. The store was narrow enough that the van, lying on its side, blocked most of it off. Fallen, shelving, and displays took care of the rest. I think we can hold them off for a while, Joe said. They'll have to come over the hood because of how the ceiling is sagging. She blinked, her train of thought stopping as she looked back at the sagging ceiling. Then the column, nearly falling over where the van plowed into it. Son of a bitch. There were other columns throughout the store. Some were damaged, but most were intact. And the building the store occupied was just one story tall. Hope surged back into her. Malcolm, the columns! Malcolm looked quizzically at Joe, then followed her gaze to the columns. His eyebrows rose high onto his forehead. He was an engineer. He saw it immediately. Raising his pistol, he took aim and looked back at her from the corner of his eye. On three? Joe nodded and sighted in on the bent column near the van. Malcolm counted down. Joe saw Agent Moore's face appear over the side of the van the moment he reached three. She dropped back down to the ground as Joe and Malcolm opened fire. Joe's column went first. It was already all but destroyed by the van's momentum and only took two shots from the plasma pistol to give way. Malcolm's was undamaged, so Joe shifted fire to help him. Their combined fire reduced the column in a few seconds. They stopped and waited. The agents on the other side of the van were shouting something to each other or to them. Joe did not care. She paid them no heed. She watched as the second column buckled, then fell over and felt a thrill of victory. A low groan issued from the ceiling as members that were not designed to hold the total weight of the ceiling and roof above were suddenly required to by the loss of the columns. The ceiling began to sag a bit more, and for a moment, Joe's feeling of victory began to fade. Maybe it would hold up after all. Then it all came tumbling down in a roar. A huge cloud of dust billowed up as ceiling tiles, beams, cross braces, lamps, electrical wiring, insulation, roof shingles, and all manner of other materials fell. The collapse went on for a full minute, and then there was a sudden quiet, almost deafening in its own right after the sound of the collapse. Joe took a breath and found herself coughing as she got more dust than air into her lungs. Beside her, Malcolm was in a similar state. She could not see Raoul back against the wall, or anything else either. There was that much dust in the air. But she could hear him. Holy shit, Raoul coughed out. Joe was inclined to agree with him. Gradually, the dust cleared and Joe was able to see the extent of the damage. Her gambit had worked even better than she had hoped. The ceiling had fallen in across two-thirds of the store on their side of the van. Rubble filled the space between them and the hole, but it looked to be climbable. Better still, Joe could see the night sky through the hole in the ceiling. They could get out. It worked, Malcolm said. He almost sounded surprised. Did you have any doubt? Joe replied. She stood up and dusted herself off, then started forward toward the debris pile in the hole leading to freedom. Come on, she said. Behind her, Malcolm chuckled. A little, he said. Joe looked back to see him grinning. Raoul had a tough time of it with his broken arm, but Malcolm was able to help him over the worst of the debris. Getting up onto the roof was another matter. Joe had to lie down on the roof and take his hand, then pull hard while Malcolm gave him a boost from below. 
Raoul was skinny, but he still outweighed Joe by a good 20 kilograms or so, and the angle was awkward. For a moment, she was not sure she would be able to get him up even with Malcolm's help from below, but finally, he managed, and Malcolm quickly pulled himself out as well. Looking over the top of the building toward the street, Joe saw Agent Moore and her two companions coming out of the building, coughing loudly. One of the agent's legs was twisted and stiff, clearly broken. Agent Moore and the other man had their arms over his shoulders, supporting him as he stumbled toward the street. They slowly lowered the injured agent to the ground, then Agent Moore turned to look back at the building. She mouthed what could only be a curse as she surveyed the damage. Then she looked up and froze as her eyes met Joe's gaze. Her eyebrows rose and her lips compressed into a thin scowl as she raised her pistol. Joe dropped into a crouch and cursed. To the back, she said, grabbing Raoul by his shoulder, his good one, fortunately, and propelling him toward the back of the store. Malcolm followed as balls of heated plasma began firing over the front edge of the building. Fortunately, the angle was too acute for Agent Moore or her uninjured colleague to get a good shot at them. Even more fortunately, the shop buildings lining the street were set one against the other for most of the block, so it would take some time for the agents to get around the back to find them. A narrow alley ran between the back of their building and the back of the next street's shop buildings. A dumpster sat against the wall of their building, and Joe was annoyed to see a door in the back of the building across the alley. And every other building she could see. Of all the rotten luck. Muttering under her breath, Joe lowered herself down onto the dumpster, which thankfully was closed at this hour of the night, and they reached up to give Raoul a hand in doing the same. In moments, they were on the ground in the alley. Okay, now what? Joe asked. Now, Malcolm said as he looked quickly back and forth down the alley, we find a manhole and get down into the storm sewers. Joe blinked. You're kidding. No way, man. Fuck that, Raoul said. He was looking pretty haggard, and Joe could not blame him for not wanting to do any more climbing. You don't have to come, Malcolm said, giving Raoul a level, icy look. It'll probably be better for you if you don't, to be honest. Raoul snorted. Yeah, right. Do I look stupid to you, Cabron? He pushed himself forward, thrusting his jaw up at Malcolm. Even if I trusted you not to sell me out if you get caught, you owe me. For the job, and for the van. Malcolm shrugged and turned away. Fine, don't say I didn't warn you. He set off walking down the alley. Joe hurried to follow. After a moment, she heard Raoul follow as well. We'll need flashlights. Behind her, Raoul spoke up. I have one. Never leave home without it. The alley widened between the two smaller buildings. Off to the side, not far from the back of the building on the left, was a manhole cover. Malcolm stepped before it and crouched down. Joe and Raoul joined him. The hard part, Malcolm said, is getting it open. We'll need something to pry it up with. Joe frowned and looked around. Aside from dumpsters here and there, there was nothing in the alley that looked as though it could be useful for that. I'm not sure... The sign on the back of the door, one building over, announced it as a lumber store. That brought a smile to her face. Wait here. Joe hurried over to the door and tried it. Locked. The lack of hinges meant it opened inward. Maybe she could kick it in. Joe stepped back and took a deep breath. Then she kicked as hard as she could, striking the door just below the doorknob with her boot. The door did not move. Impressive, Raoul said as he stepped up next to her. He smirked at her and reached into his pocket. Step aside, he said. He crouched in front of the door and pulled a small piece of metal out of the inner pocket of his jacket. He inserted the metal piece, a lockpit, Joe assumed, into the keyhole and began working it around. After a minute or so, Joe heard a soft click and the doorknob turned. Raoul grinned and pushed the door open, swinging his arm in a grand offer for her to enter. Joe rolled her eyes. You're quite a character, Raoul. Good with tech and with a lockpick. I would not have think those went together. You would be surprised, senorita, he replied. 
He opened his mouth to say something more, but a ruckus down the far end of the alley drew his attention. He shrank back against the alley wall. Shit, I think they're coming. Joe blanched. Even if he was wrong, there was no time to dilly-dally. She ducked into the store. It only took a moment to find what she needed. When she emerged from the store and hurried back to Malcolm's side, he gave her an incredulous look. I was thinking more like a pry bar, he said. Beggars can't be choosers. He shrugged, conceding the point. The piece of wood she picked out was a meter long and two centimeters on a side. It just barely squeezed into the little hole on the side of the manhole cover. Joe and Malcolm took hold of the board and pushed down. A sharp cracking sound issued through the board, and for a moment Joe thought her bright idea was going to fail completely. Then the manhole cover moved upwards slightly, and they were able to slide the board further in, allowing more purchase. Shortly, they raised the cover enough that Malcolm was able to bend over and get his fingers under the cover's edge. From there, it was a quick process to slide it aside. Joe wiped her brow, panting from the exertion, and looked between Malcolm and Raoul. I'll go first and help Raoul down. I'm not sure I would be able to move the cover back into place anyway. Malcolm nodded. Joe sat on the edge of the manhole and dangled her feet into the blackness below. The hole opened beneath her like a gaping maw and she had to push aside a rising surge of fear. Raoul handed her his flashlight, which helped, but still there was something about the descent into the sewer below that seemed creepy. Swallowing hard, Joe kicked her feet around until she found the ladder rungs built into the side of the shaft. Then she slid slowly downward. Okay, car chase is done. And I think it was done quite nicely myself. Like I told you before, I had a lot of fun writing that sequence. Um, car chases are always great. And, you know, figuring out how to bring a building down, that's always fun too, especially if you're an engineer like me. So, yeah, so Joe and Malcolm and Raul are out of the frying pan and into the sewer. I guess we'll see what happens next on this one. Um... For that, you'll have to come back next week. Or just go buy the book. You know where to go buy the book. It's at uh, michaelkingswood.com or ssnstorytelling.com if you want to give me the most money for it. Um, or you can go to Amazon and all the rest. It's the same price, but I just get a greater cut if you buy it straight from me. Um, you know how that works. You can also uh, go to website. If you like what I'm doing on the podcast, don't feel like buying the books, but do like to support it. You can become a... Uh, supporting member of the website and you know subscription and i uh, give some little bonus extra fun things to the various subscribers depending on what level you go with uh, and you can check all that out through my website microkingswood.com and go to the supporting patronage page and you know just yeah, or come back next week spread all the words all your friends and neighbors about the cool stuff we're doing here on the podcast and the videos and the subscribe of course and hit the little notification link so you find out more and go from there um, as you can, maybe you can tell, maybe you can't. I've been tweaking how the things work around here, trying to make the videos at least a little better than they were. Added the intro and outro music, some of it that I use on the uh, Audible podcast. And uh, I'll go from there. I've also been doing a little read of research on how this uh, video search algorithm thing works, trying to figure out how to get more people to see them. Ah, but we'll continue on with that as I tweak but the best way to of course help me out with audience is for you guys to tell everybody how cool this Kingswood guy is and how awesome his books are and you should go listen to his podcast or watch his videos and you should definitely buy his stuff so I'll be able to hook a brother up there uh, let's see what else is going on uh, I told you about the Infinite Bard already uh, but please uh, if you haven't gone to check out the Infinite Bard site uh, to see Barbara's short story for the week please go do that I'll leave the link in the description here below so you can remember to do that and 
no, just come back uh, next week, which now is just in a couple days. <laughs> I'll be uh, doing more chap more chapters from Pericles Conspiracy and tell you more great stuff. And once I hang up from here, I'm going to put the finishing touches on my new release of a novelette, which is, if you don't know how the works, you have the short stories. There's a whole bunch of several different categories of stories. Short stories is... Zero to 7,500 words. Novelette is 7,500 words. 17,000 words. Novella is from 17,000 words up to 40,000. And above 40,000 is a novel. And those are really just arbitrary lengths that, they, that the uh, World Science Fiction uh, Convention used when they set up their Hugo Awards to give more, able to be able to give more awards out to writers. Um, in reality, you get short stories, short novels, and novels, right? So this novelette is, what, about 10,000 words? And I'm just about, uh, I, I wrote it a couple of years ago, but just about done formatting and getting it squared away for publication. And uh, so it's, you know, closer to, you could call it a short story or a short novel, depending how you wanted to do it. Anyway, I'll be putting that out here shortly. So I'll put at another video and podcast thing saying hey the new thing's out go check it out so look for that in the near future too so anyway lots going on and of course be continuing on with a great challenge of writing short stories we're doing a short story next week and i'll let you know by the end of next week if i succeeded or not and of course i will uh, we'll go from there so that's what's going on around here hope you guys have a great week come back and see me next time and uh, until then don't do anything i wouldn't do Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mail list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music, copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs>